0: How did we start his ministry? Repent for the kingdom of God. hand. During the trial before, Pilate Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, was the reply of Jesus. And so we understand, wherever Jesus goes, there the kingdom of God resides. And so I ask you, this is a very, questions, even at the beginning. Sometimes we do application all at the end. Here it is right at the beginning. Are you letting Jesus be your prophet? Are you listening to his words as he guides you, directs you, confronts you, rebukes you? Are you listening to the words of Jesus the prophet, or are you listening to the words of the culture? In this world that has lots of of God to you that cut through all the noise and get straight to your heart? Are you listening to your prophet? Also, are you letting Jesus be your king? Are you coming under his authority? Are you submitting to his will? Are you bowing the knee to Jesus, saying to him, I surrender all to you, to your kingship, or do you often take the reins? your own life. Do your own thing. Live for your own kingdom. This kingdom that is so sparkling and alluring, this great kingdom of self. So in a world where there are many, many kingdoms vying for your attention, promising you happiness, can the authority of Jesus the King command your soul allegiance? Are you listening to the voice of the prophet? And are you obeying without God? Morning, we also want to ask what of this great high priest. There's three reasons why the priesthood of Christ is often marginalized in today's world, even by today's Christians. First, we have forgotten often how to think within the biblical framework of sin and forgiveness. Instead, our thinking is often dominated by therapeutic categories from psychology. We love thinking about positive thinking and wholeness and self-esteem and uh, positive thinking all the time. but the Bible tells you that your biggest problem is your problem of sin. And the biggest need in your life is the forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus, as your high priest, asks you to return to biblical categories and a biblical framework to address the biggest Problems in your life, sin, forgiveness. Second, we often have little notion that the punishment due to sin is death. We think, in modern terms, that our problems require self help rather than dying to self. Jesus, as your high priest, reminds you of a very stark truth that your biggest problems require the shedding of blood. That without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins.
1: Third, why do we marginalize
0: the, the priesthood of Christ in our lives? Because we think that coming into the presence of God is casual and normal. That taking off one's sandals is hardly necessary, that no sacrifice is ever needed, that no representative to approach God on our behalf is really. Study the ancient cultures or study animistic cultures around the globe that always approached the gods, always through the shaman, through the medicine man, through the witch doctor. In other cultures and other ages, people knew a very important truth coming into the presence of God was no small feat, never, ever casual. And a priest was always, always necessary to stand before God. So Jesus says your high priest insists that God is always every single time always approached only through Christ our high priest as the perfect representative on your behalf. Coming into the presence of God requires you to have a priest. So, Christ is our great high priest, argues the writer of Hebrews again and again. Sin is our problem, forgiveness is costly, punishment is due to sin, and coming into the presence of God requires a priest. And so the prophet stands on behalf of God and talks to you as men and women and the priest stands as a representative on behalf of men and women before God. So, Christ is your prophet, your priest, and your king. Are you listening to your prophet? Are you obeying your king? And are you coming before God, acknowledging all that the great high priest has done for you? So the end of chapter 4 is like the application of the text, and then chapter 5, verse 1 through 10, is like the main body of the text. So first we'll go to the body of the message, and then back to the end of chapter 4. And so in chapter 5, we have two sections. First, qualifications for priesthood, verses 1 through 4. And then the writer gives Christ's qualifications for priesthood. In verses 5 through 10, That's as if the writer hangs a big sign in front of the storehouse, help wanted, great high priest. And so if you enter into the storeroom, hey, I'm here for the, the, the high priest position, here the writer gives you, here's Hebrews 5, 1 through 10. So first, qualifications for priesthood, 1 through 4. If you have your Bibles, you're going to want to turn there again, or you'll get lost. The best sermons are ones that you'll get lost in if you don't have your Bibles open. Can I get it in a <laughs> So, four qualifications for priesthood. First, divinely appointed. Verse 4. No one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by. priesthood is divinely appointed. Second, priesthood is chosen from among men. Verse 1, every high priest chosen from among men. We need a representative to stand before God on our behalf. Third obligation might surprise you, being sympathetic in nature. Now, an ideal priest for the priesthood would not be too harsh and not too condemning of sinners, but neither would the priest be overly lenient and too dismissive of the sin. Look at verse 2. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. In other words, the priest should possess a genuine sense of empathy since he himself knows himself doing well to also be a sinner. The fourth qualification, able to offer sacrifice for sin. verse 1, appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. At this point, the, the, the writer goes into discussing Christ's qualifications for priesthood are the same four categories. First, divinely appointed. Look at verses 5 and 6. It says, so also Christ, he did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we understood that the priesthood of Christ is grounded on his sonship, that he is the Son of God. Second, he's chosen from among men. Jesus was the perfect man, the true man, verse seven, in the days of his flesh. He lived a life that we can never live. We'll come back to this in a moment. Third, he is sympathetic in nature. Verse 7. Jesus knows. him from death. This is a priest who sympathizes deeply in unparalleled ways with his people a fourth qualification able to offer sacrifice for sin. When the writer talks about Jesus being made perfect, the writer is not talking in moral terms but in vocational terms. Because of course what does it mean that Jesus was made perfect? It cannot mean that Jesus was everlasting and perfect morally. So here we are in the realm of vocation. He's perfect morally. Through his obedience to the Father, he is now fully equipped to serve vocationally in his office as a great high priest, perfectly representative of men and able to stand before God. Hebrews 10 12 says like this But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down the right hand of God. Work finished, heal of the perfect sacrifice for sin. So that's the message, the body of the message. Let's go back to the application, three applications. First, application is this. Jesus is our high priest. First means that assurance of sympathy from Jesus is always available. And more of it is the reality of who Jesus is for you. So I don't know if you understand how amazing, how surprising, what good news this actually is. That he, you have assurance of Jesus. of complete detachment from this world. And so here, when the writer of Hebrews uses the word sympathy, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. The word sympathize in the Greek is a compound word with a prefix with, joined with the verb to suffer or to feel. In other words, in our pain, Jesus' is pain. In our suffering, he feels the suffering. We have in Jesus, our high priest, unparalleled understanding. This picture of sheer solidarity, complete assurance of sympathy. And it's not so much that we have a doctor in Jesus that prescribes medicine to us. But we have a doctor who has endured the same disease, felt the same pain, experienced the same emotions, and therefore is a doctor that cures from his own heart. It's as if Jesus is wanting to give you all of his heart. When you sin and when you suffer, it's a doctor that cures from his own experiences and from his own heart, suffering with and feeling with the suffering witness of Jesus. The feeling withness of Jesus. Do you get how good news this is for us? It's like the first missionary biography that I ever read in my life. A little story that I highly recommend called Bruco. It's a story of a missionary named Bruce Olson. Now, Bruce Olson lived among the Metamonis tribe, or a very remote tribe. In the 1960s, he worked there in, in Colombia, in South Africa, South America. Yeah. I'm prone to say Africa when I think of any other continent. And what was happening to the colonial tribe, he, he recalls that there was an outbreak, an epidemic of peak eye that was running wild through the tribe. Now, I'm not going to embarrass anybody, and they'll ask you, like, how many people experience peak eye in your life? I did one day traveling from a remote corner of Equatorial Guinea, 13 hours through this uh, this bush taxi, all the dust, all the, like, the huge sun, 13 hours. I couldn't treat it. The whole day was like this. One of my five top Before, where does this potion come from? Asked the witch doctor. Bruce Olson replied, Well, it is one that the witch doctors of my people use. (laughs) And she shrugged, You are white, your ways are different from ours. And then it occurred to him, and then Bruce Olson had this great idea. He writes, I strode back to my home, and went and visited a man who had a very bad case of the disease. I rubbed my fingers in the corner of his eye and then smeared his pus in my own eye. <laughs> Bruce Olson gave himself pink eye. He suffered with. He experienced the emotions. He felt the pain. All the things that this tribe was going through, he was alongside them and he was He felt. All that they suffered, he suffered what they suffered. And when you know it, this episode was actually the linchpin of the whole tribe coming to Christ.
1: A missionary willing
0: to suffer with and feel the pain of a tribe far from Christ. Where, I ask you, does Bruce Olson get that example from the scriptures? We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Christ took the pus that was in your eye, and he put it in his own. He stands with you in deep sympathy and with deep experiences of your humanity. Consider Jesus as a man, thirsty, hungry, despised, rejected, scorned, shamed, abandoned. The accused suffocated, tortured, and killed. Friends abandoned him. Parents lost him. Enemies hounded him. He stood with you in all your ways. You might have even seen the commercials. It's been called the largest ever national ad campaign of Christianity in America. A hundred million dollars targeting Gen Z and millennials. He gets us. Jesus was judged too. The struggle is real. Here's the basic message. Jesus gets us. Someone spent $100 million to tell you this, where I'm only going to charge you just a 30 minutes to tell you the truth of Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. the other. What? You too? I thought no one but myself got You understand that the significance? Gee, with Jesus as our great high priest, we can look at Jesus and say, what? You too? I thought no one but myself He is with you in every way, save one. He never committed a sin. Look at the verse: in every respect, he's been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You and I—we know the experience of rowing against the stiff, hard wind of temptation. ever imagined, through the full weight of the devil. Against all this world had to throw at him, and yet he never sinned. Hebrews 12 verse 4 says it like this. Right? It says, in your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. But Jesus did. Jesus gets you. He's an example of a stop and constant resistance against sin, and he did all that for you. So the first application, Jesus as the great high priest, means you have an assurance of sympathy from Jesus, whatever you're believing. Second, Jesus as the great high priest means you have confidence in communion with God. Without Jesus as your great high priest, you approach the throne of God as a throne of judgment, a throne of terror, throne of condemnation. A throne which asks you, "Hey, I did not bid you to come into my throne room. Get out of my throne room." You would approach the throne of God like the cowardly lion approaches the Wizard of Oz, shaking, trembling, without a bit of confidence that your life would be accepted before God, that your pleas and your prayers would be heard, but for the high priest. This throne of terror is transformed into a throne of grace. The writer says, "Like this, let us then with what? Confidence. Let us then with confidence, drawn near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You have needs, God is a throne of grace. You have hurts." God is a throne of healing. You have sins. God has a throne of mercy. And it's all because Christ is our great high priest. Who is able, the next chapter says verse 2, who is able to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. That means that it covers all sins, right? You're either ignorant of the sin or you're wayward going in a direction you shouldn't go. All who come to God, the priestly work of God, Christ are heard, are accepted, are shown mercy. So the great high priest made you always have a great confidence in your community with God. God listens. God hears. God accepts because Christ is your great high priest. Assurance of sympathy with Jesus. Great confidence in your community with God. finally, blessing of intercession. Jesus is the priesthood of all priests. He's the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now you think, Melchizedek, he's a mysterious dude in scripture, right? That's a scholarly way to put it. This Melchizedek, you think, no earthly lineage. And that's part of the point, right? He is the king. Of Salem, Genesis 14, which is probably the shortened form of for Jerusalem. The same place where the great high priest, Jesus Christ, would serve as the priest and the sacrifice and the victim on the cross all at once outside of Jerusalem. So Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything he had. And in turn, you might think, well. What did Abraham get? He got a blessing from Melchizedek. Blessed be Abraham by God most high. And in our modern 21st century materialistic culture, you might be prone to say, hey,
1: Abraham got a raw deal.
0: He gave a tenth of everything he had, and all he got was a mere blessing from Melchizedek? What is going on? It's hard to imagine that we would trade a tenth of all that we have just to receive a blessing from God. But that's what Abraham did. Hebrews 7, 25 says like this, Consequently, Jesus, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Something that was blessed. Abraham's life was blessed. He gave all that he had, tenth of all that he had, just to receive a blessing from this mysterious priest who knew the Most High. Friends, what does it mean to you that Christ has spoken your name before the Father? That Christ has whispered your name and Ask for blessing upon your life before the Father, the throne of grace. It doesn't mean that Christ has asked the Father for you, yes, you, to receive grace and mercy through the cross because Jesus was your great high priest. He was the sacrifice and the victim. And so Jesus intercedes on your behalf. He always lives to make intercession for you. He always lives to utter your name before the Father, to whisper your name in the Father's ear. Louis Vercross said the prayer of Christ is a prayer that never fails. If he's a priest of the Lord of Melchizedek, he longs to give an in intercession of blessing on your life. Grave of Lazarus, the Lord expressed the assurance that the Father always hears him. So the blessing and the intercession of Christ flows to you through your great high priest. So we want to be Christians and don't marginalize and don't forget Christ is our great high priest. What, what does that mean? I have a great assurance of sympathy with Jesus. He gets Everything you're going through, Christ. You have great confidence in your communion with God. You come with confidence to the throne of grace, not in throne of condemnation. Finally, you find in your great high priest, Jesus, a surprising intercession of blessing over your life you would appropriate again and again all the spiritual riches of Christ that flow through the sacrificial death, of priestly work on your behalf. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.